I appreciate that our band takes time to pray about what they're going to sing about and what they're going to say. Because this is, this is not meant to be entertainment. I know you can go some places and it's very entertaining. Uh, but that's not what this is about this morning. And, and I've said this before, but you know, like sometimes at the end of a song we'll applaud. And we're not applauding for them. And they know that. And, I, and maybe we need to be reminded of that, that who are we applauding for? Yeah, when we hear something that we know is true and we're excited about the fact that it's true, um, we applaud. And so, like, you will hear politicians will give pro- speeches and promises and people applaud because they agree with it. I'm going to let you take that for me. It's stuck there. There we go. Sorry, logistics are a little different this morning. <laughs> um, but when we applaud, we're basically saying, Amen. Amen. That is so true. And uh, again, I appreciate them taking the time to do that and also to fill in when we don't really have a worship leader at the moment. And, uh, you know, Ashley had been our kind of the quarterback of the team for a while, but now she's at home with a new baby and we miss you, Sharps. So, you know, y'all can say hi to the Sharps. You can text them or let them know. And so, hey, we have some first time guests with us this morning. Let's give them a hand. Let them know that we're thankful that they're here with us this morning. Um, So... We will return to the book of Deuteronomy next week, but what I want to do today, and I'm, I'm super excited about it, as you probably could tell from my text and my video this week, that I want to talk about something that goes on the heels of the resurrection, on the heels of Easter. And, and this is something that, honestly, I haven't known as much about it as I should, and really in a lot of Christian circles, it's not talked about much, and that is the ascension of Jesus. And let me tell you, we, we talk about the death. We talk about the burial and we talk about the resurrection, but we really don't talk about the significance of the ascension because it is super important. It's not just some little thing that's tacked on the end of the story. Oh yeah, and by the way, he went up in the clouds. There's a whole lot involved in him going up to the clouds. Think about the Olympics. Okay, a runner's in a race, he's training for the race, he's competing, he's qualifying, he's winning certain meets, and then finally he gets to the gold medal race. And he's in the lead, and he's winning, and he crosses the finish line, and they'll say, he has won the gold medal. But he doesn't have the medal, does he? Later, maybe even sometimes a day later, they'll have the award ceremony, and that athlete will ascend up the platform to the highest point, and then they'll put the gold medal on him. And this is what the ascension is. Jesus Christ has done the work, but now he's ascending, if you will, to get the gold medal. Okay, and that's when the real presentation takes place. And so I want you to read with me as I read through Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the odd verses, and you can read the even verses with me, okay? Acts chapter 1, and again, if you're, you can follow along in your paper Bible or on your uh, device, and here we go. Acts chapter 1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And when he says the first book, really the book of Acts is Luke 2, Luke, the gospel of Luke is Luke 1, and the Acts is Luke 2. And also, by the way, it's called the book of Acts, and the full name is the Acts of the, the Apostles, and that's really inaccurate. That's not in the, in the text. That's just what we've labeled it. It's the Acts of Jesus, because it goes on to say all that Jesus began to do and teach, and he did it through the Apostles. But anyway, join me here on verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then it says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And then verse 5 says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then together on verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to him? And then verse 7 says, And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9 says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Then the last verse here says, And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for the word. You know, what we just read was inspired words of God. Isn't that amazing? What you hold in your hand is the word of God. You know what's amazing about the word of God? If you read the Quran, the only way, according to Muslims, that you can read the actual Quran is if you read it in Arabic. Any translation to another language, they will tell you is not the Quran. It is a translation, but it loses value because it is meant to be written in Arabic. So if you don't know Arabic, you really don't know the Quran. If you ever noticed that other writings of religious writings, they pretty much, Buddhism has pretty much stayed an Asian religion. Hinduism has pretty much stayed an a, a East, Far Eastern Indian religion. But Christianity is spread around the world and in every language because it's meant to be in every language. That's the way God did it. In fact, in this passage right here, you see very, the very next thing is you see that them speaking in tongues and every man heard the word of God in his own language. Every man heard the word of God in his own language. The Bible, Bible just right there endorsed translations into other languages as being the preserved word of God. So you just heard the best part of the sermon right there. Everything after this is Gary trying to teach you the scriptures, but the word of God is something we should never, ever take for granted. So we want to talk today about the ascension of Jesus Christ. Um, John MacArthur said this about the, the ascension. He said, the most re- neglected event in the life of Christ and yet one of the most important, we should never think of the cross of Christ without thinking about the resurrection, and we should never think of the resurrection without thinking about the ascension. It is super important. What is an ascension? What is an ascension? It's a term that's used to describe kings or queens. When, they, when the crown is passed on to them, literally and figuratively, when, when the authority to be king or queen is passed on to them, they go up steps to a throne and someone places the, king, the crown on their head saying this person is officially the king. And so that's what it means for Jesus said. It doesn't just mean that he just went, went up in a cloud. This means Jesus is reclaiming the kingship over the earth and he's establishing the kingdom of heaven, which is something he talked about often. So um, in Acts chapter 1 here, 
it says in the first book, and I already explained that to you, and then it says, O Theophilus. Now, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but what, what often happened back in biblical times and even happened throughout Shakespeare and, and even the medieval times, plays, symphonies, and books were sponsored by wealthy people. And wealthy people would pay someone to make a book or to make a symphony or to, or, to write, or to write a play and they would be the sponsor. Many people think Theophilus was the sponsor, if you will, of the, of the book of Acts. And so Luke, he's, what's, what's Luke's uh, vocation? He's a doctor, but he gets some help and he probably hired some help, which are called scribes, people who are experts at making these manuscripts and writing them neatly, but not just, not just how they wrote them as far as in the calligraphy, but how they wrote them as far as wordsmithing. And th these people were experts at doing that. And so they, we think that that God said, okay, write the Bible. Okay, God, I'm listening. Ba -ba -ba. Okay, ba -ba. and like that. It was just straight dictation. It was, sometimes it may have been that way, but most times it was a very thoughtful, planned out process, still inspired by God, but God using the personality, the intellect, and even the imagination of the writers to, to flow through the pen and God inspiring all at the same time. So Every scripture you read has two authors. God is the author, and there's a man that's an author, because you will see the style. Paul doesn't all of a sudden lose his style when he writes. Luke doesn't all of a sudden lose his style. God uses, that's what's so great about this. God uses you the way you are with the personality you have. You know, what's interesting is, the more each person in this room becomes like Christ, we don't become less like ourselves and walk around like little Jesus robots and we're all very homogenous and we all look alike. Whenever you see that, it's like a cult, okay? When everybody looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, dresses the same, that's a cult. But when the body of Christ comes together and is filled with the Spirit of God, the very best of us comes out in the unique way God has made us. And yet we're more like Christ. It's, it's one of those paradoxes that's, that's amazing. And you see that throughout Scripture with the personality of each writer. Just read the Psalms. Man, is David schizophrenic or what? I mean, he's like, God is great. Oh, man, I'm in the depths of the earth, and where is God now? And next thing you know, God, you are my Savior, you are my rock. Next thing you know, God, where are you? I haven't heard from you in a long time, you know. And you just see this kind of up and down, up and down. And I thank God that lets that personality shine through. And so Theophilus most likely sponsored Luke to write this book, and it could be, some people even theorize, Theophilus' name is Greek, so he's not, he's not a Jew, that he's maybe like, hey, is this really true? And, and Luke says, you know what, I'm going to put together a book for you to explain everything I saw as an eyewitness of all this. And Theophilus says, okay, I'll pay for it. And then he wrote this so that Theophilus would become a believer. He says, I, all that I've dealt with and all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's why the book probably should be called The Acts of Jesus as performed by the apostles, okay? And so what we see here is, is the book of Acts, it's Jesus working. Even though he is not physically present, although he does appear to the apostle Paul, right? Physically present. But throughout the book, he's not physically present, but he's still doing it. Isn't that what Jesus promised? He said, when I go away, you will do greater things. <laughs> Man, think about that. Jesus did some pretty great stuff. But think about this. When millions and millions and millions come to Christ and millions give their life to him and go from darkness to light, that's great. It means greater in proportion, not necessarily greater in quality like we're all going to walk on water. 
Okay, it's greater in proportion, but Jesus is working through his church. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is Jesus working through you? Do you, really, do you feel like Wednesday when you're at work, God is working through you? Ben, when you're up here playing, do you feel like Jesus Christ is playing through you? When you're volunteering, you're turning preschool, do you feel like the hands of Jesus is holding that child and loving that child through you? That's the way it should be, whether we're aware of it or not. We need to be aware of his presence and his working through us and making ourselves available for, for that work. He says, until the day when he was taken up. And again, it's the same similar language as in, not just he just went up, but when he was exalted to his throne. Just like when that Olympic athlete went on the platform. There's a whole lot more than just walking up steps. It's a, it's a process. After that, he was given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So you see the Trinity working here together. The Father sent the Son. The Son is giving commands. The Holy Spirit is speaking through Christ. And they're all yet God equal, but working together as a team. And he's doing this through these, the apostles that he had chosen. And he says, and he presented himself alive. Now think about that. He presented himself alive. He didn't present some mirage. He didn't present some hologram or holograph. He didn't present, you know, some, uh, somebody else. He presented himself. That's important. We'll talk about it a little later. But he presented himself alive. Now think about it. You are a disciple of Jesus. You've just spent three and a half years with him. You are totally in love with this man. Like he is the greatest thing you've ever, person you've ever met. You are totally wowed by him. You are thinking he is going to kick the Romans out. You know, raise up an army and we're not going to be subservient to them anymore. We're not going to pay these ridiculous taxes anymore. Our children aren't going to be abused by them anymore. We are going to be Israel, the kingdom again. And then he dies. You're like, what? We, we thought he was it. Because they were looking for the wrong Messiah. But nonetheless, they miss him. They, and, and where are they? They're in a room. They're hiding. They got the door locked. They're scared. They're thinking maybe they're going to crucify us next. And then he comes through the door what they've been locked and says, look. And they're like, man, they cannot believe it. Just think about how blown you would, way you'd be if all that investment emotionally, and then here he is, alive. And you're like, you know what? Duh, he said that. I guess we weren't listening. Have you ever, ever caught yourself where you're not really listening? But that's what they were doing. But now they see this. And he says, he didn't just do it like once or twice. And see, that's one, sometimes the problem with the way we... Do Easter, like he rose from the dead, boom, that was it. No, no, no. 40 days, not just here and there, but many, many proofs, proofs, evidence of like, here I am, I'm alive. By the way, have any of you seen the, the movie Risen? Okay, check it out on Pure Flix. It's worth watching, okay? But I, that's all I'm going to say about it. But anyway, many proofs. Jesus was proving to them. What are some ways that he proved to them? Well, first of all, they touched, right? Remember he said, Thomas, here, touch you. And Thomas wasn't the only one. He's like, hey, Thomas, join the crowd. Everybody's doing this, okay? But he is also like, they're like, well, are you a ghost or whatever? And they're like touching him and like, hey, give me some food to eat. And they gave him some broiled fish and some, some bread and he ate it. And he's like, I'm, I'm alive. And, and he was alive in a different way. He's in a glorified body. That's why he's able to go through the walls. And that's why one day he's in Jerusalem and that afternoon he's in Galilee, <laughs> It's like no way that he just run that fast, okay? He's transporting through time. He's doing some incredible things in his new glorified body. And this wasn't just for a day or two or a time or two. This was many 
proofs over 40 days. 40 days. That, that, for those of you who went to Alvin High School, that's a month and 10 days. That's a long time, okay? That, that 40 days is a long time. And, and so you, you have to ask yourself the question, why 40 days? Now, many of you are, are, are familiar enough with the Bible, you know 40 days is, is a significant number. It means a test or to be proven by a test or a trial, and sometimes it even means judgment. But it all has to do with a test or trial or judgment. So like, let, let's remember through the Bible, God destroyed every living thing on earth by flooding it for how many days? 40 days, because God was testing or judging the world, basically testing the world saying you failed. You have failed because you're all immoral except for Noah and his family. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus fasted for 40 days. Whew. Man, <laughs> just the thought of fasting one day is pretty ominous right there. 40 days, that's pretty ma amazing. And so it, was, it wasn't just something Jesus did in the wilderness. It was, it was a precedent that was set. The Israelites wandered in the desert for how many years? 40 years. Um, let's keep going through. So Ezekiel laid on his right side. This is one of the strangest stories in the Bible. Wearing the same clothes, not changing his diaper or anything for 40 days. It was a pretty gross picture there but he's basically was saying hey this is what you're like you're just when it comes to worshiping God you've just laid down and given up and that that was what this prophet was doing and God called him to do some pretty strange things um and then uh the three kings of Israel three of the main kings Saul David and Solomon reigned for how long 40 years each and each of them failed the test by the way none of them was a perfect king showing Saul Saul, failure, David, failure, Solomon, failure, Jesus, success. He's saying the ascension, he's saying, I'm taking 40 days to show you I'm alive, and then I'm going to the throne to show you I am the king that none of these other clowns could ever be. He showed that he was truly the king of kings. And you know what? One of the lessons I've learned, you know, at my age, I've always followed politics fairly carefully. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, or the one in a million chance a libertarian ever gets elected, they're all gonna bomb. Some might be slightly better than others, but they're all gonna bomb. Communism will fail miserably. Socialism will fail miserably. Even a democratic republic we're seeing eventually fails miserably. Monarchies fail miserably. The only government that will ever work is a benevolent dictator, dictatorship under King Jesus. And that's what he's showing us, is all these political th systems, they crumble, they fall, and they are corrupt. Why are they corrupt? Because people are corrupt. And the, the great historical statement is that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the exception to that rule is Jesus. He'll have absolute power, and it will not corrupt him at all. So we look forward. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. We look forward to this day. And so the, this 40 days is very significant. So Jesus walks the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. And here's the thing, though. He's not just consistently in the same place. Several times, and I don't have time to go through all of them, but you might want to go back and study this. Several times he appears to them, and then boom, he's gone. And they're like, man. And they don't know if that's the last time they're going to see him. So next thing you know, like a week later, then they see him, and they're like, oh, my gosh. And so this happened. And, of course, in hindsight, they saw that the 40th day is when he, uh, when he ascended. But can you imagine what this be like, would be like? To be with Jesus, to, to have watched him die, and then to see him alive, and yet 
he's still Jesus, but yet there's something different about him. There's something amazing about him. And, and to know that you are someday going to be like him. The Bible says in 1 John that when we see him, we will be changed and we will become like him. And then can you imagine also seeing all that and still choosing not to believe? Thousands did. Thousands did. See, this is the thing. Liberal college professors will teach you that Jesus was just a good teacher. But then after hundreds and hundreds of years, we kept saying, you know, he was a good guy to a great guy to a miraculous guy to where he was God. No, no, no. They knew then he was God. That's why they tried to crucify him. That's why they did crucify him, because he claimed to be God. Thomas bows down before him when he sees the resurrected body. He says, my Lord and my God. Okay? This was not something that came through time. You know, like John, you know, some, you know, tales of people, like mythology, where it elevated. No, they knew it at the time. That's why it was such a big controversy. And that's why you even see Roman historians recording documents that, about the riots that happened because of this resurrected Jesus. What would it take to see this guy perform miracles, to heal the blind, to raise the dead, to touch lepers, and, rest and to restore sight to the blind, and all these things, then say, I'm going to die and, but I'm going to rise again. He does it. He walks around for 40 days. And you're like, I am still not into this Jesus thing. And before we get too critical of people who do that, you have to realize we were once them. You, you probably didn't accept the gospel the first time you heard it. And, and even then, you know he's alive. And yet, are you obedient every day? So before we get too on a high horse... What we need to realize is this is the blindness of Satan. The Bible, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that Satan has blinded the eyes of this world. And you know what heals the blindness? It's your prayers. That's why at the end of every service, what do I ask you to do? Believers, please pray that God would open the eyes of the lost so they would accept the gospel. Because prayers are the only thing that lift the blindness. And it's the, the word of God penetrating and the prayers of God's people that are just lifting that blindness so that light could shine into the darkness. So uh, Luke 16 is, is a, a story that kind of backs up this whole concept of how can people be blind to this thing. In Luke 16, you have the rich man and La Lazarus. The rich man had all kinds of stuff and Lazarus sat at his gate and the rich man wouldn't even share scraps with the guy. But he sat out there sick and dying and the dogs licked his wounds. Well, Lazarus died, but the rich man died too. And the, the rich man, they're both in Hades and rich man's on the, the, the sinner side or hell. And the Lazarus is on in Abraham's bosom. No, so this is a temporary holding spot for the dead until the resurrection. And it says, that, and Lazarus uh, sees the rich man on the other side. And the rich man says, hey, Send Lazarus over to me and just with a drop of water on my tongue, I'm in torment here. And he's still got that mentality. Send that guy to serve me, serve me. He's in hell and he's still, it's all about me, me, me. And, and then he's like, well, and they're like, no, we can't. There's, there's a division between us and we're not going to bridge that gap. There's, it's here, there for a purpose. And he says, well, then please go send someone to my brothers. I don't want them to come to hell like me. And he evidently wasn't concerned about his brothers while he was alive, but now he's concerned about them in hell. And they're like, no, he won't hear them. Well, listen to what Jesus says. He, Jesus said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, what does that mean? The 39 books of the Old Testament, okay? Moses, the first five, 
Okay? And then the prophets being the other 30, 34. Even Psalms are included as the prophets because David was a prophet. So we've got all these books here. Basically what Jesus is saying, if they won't hear the preaching of the word of God, they're not going to believe. Neither shall, will they hear or be convinced if someone should uh, rise from the dead. Jesus was telling his story, and basically it's a prophecy of, I'm going to rise from the dead, and people still won't believe. When people are skeptical and say, oh, I don't, I don't know why, the Bible has so many contradictions, which is not true, or there's so many hypocrites, or there's all these excuses. And again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to bash lost people when I'm saying this. I'm trying to help you understand what they're thinking. When they say all these skeptics questions like, oh, the Bible says God created in our six days. Obviously, that's not true. The world, the world evolved over a billion years. When they throw out all these arguments, here's what you need to realize. They don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. And, and you, how many of you invited people to church and they, they don't want to come? You understand that inviting someone to church, inviting a lost person to church, which I still think you should do, by the way, but it's like inviting a criminal to the police station. They don't want to go because why? They're guilty. And they don't want to go to the place where they're going to be called on what they've done. Now, some people, they do, and they come and they get saved, and that's great. But when there's a hesitation, realize it, there's a reason for it. And there's a reason people don't believe. And some people say, well, why doesn't God just appear to us right now? We'd all believe. No, you wouldn't. Do you understand this? That Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take his church out of this world. Then later he'll come and return and establish his kingdom. He'll conquer all the armies of the world, set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. Now, we won't be having kids because we will be transformed. We'll be like the angels, Jesus said, and we'll just be totally in love and be the bride of Christ. But the people we're ruling and reigning over will have kids for a thousand years. And you're going to see the restored ages growing. So people are going to be living for hundreds of years, and you'll have people who will live the whole thousand years. And their children, maybe who were born in the year 10, that would live 990 years. And at the end, the book of Revelation says that two-thirds of the planet will rebel against Jesus again. What does that say about the, the, the state of the human heart? We are hard-hearted. We can see the resurrected Jesus in and say, I still don't believe. I still don't believe. And, 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 and that's just human nature, and that's what we're working against ourselves, but that's also what we're praying against in our lost brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and bosses and other employees. You're praying that God would remove that darkness and that the word of God would penetrate their heart. Tim Keller said this. He said the early Christians did not believe because they wanted to believe. They, they didn't believe just because it was an inspiring story. They believed because the evidence was so overwhelming that they were forced to believe in, in spite of everything that they actually thought. The Christians who got saved, do you realize that they weren't looking for a resurrection right then and there? All Jews thought the resurrection would come at the end of the, uh, end of the world. So for a man to resurrect in the middle of history was a shock to the Jews. And to the Greeks, the body was an evil thing. You couldn't wait to die and get out of this body. So to resurrect in a physical body, that makes no sense. And the Romans had a similar theology. So not the Greeks or the Romans or the Jews were looking for a physical resurrection. 
So when people, skeptics today say, well, people back then were superstitious. That's why they believed it. None of them were looking for it. It, it blew away all their theology. And for all the Pharisees to say, wait a minute, God became human flesh? No way. It was totally counterintuitive to everything they thought and everything they believed. So let me ask you a question. What topic did Jesus talk about more than any other topic? Go ahead, tell me. Love, that's a great guess. Hell, he talked about hell more than heaven. Salvation, Salvation he talked about a ton. You guys are all in the top five list. But you know what? Money is up. The Bible, the Bible as a whole talks about money more than the others. But the words of Jesus, the red letters, here's what Jesus talked about more than anything else. The kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom of God more than love. He talked about the kingdom of God more than salvation, although it's a direct result of that. He talked about it more than anything else. He talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The two are synonymous. So during those 40, 40 days, he's not just walking around proving, hey, hey, look at me eat, watch me. He's teaching and teaching. And he's teaching about the same thing he taught about before he died, and that is the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And Jesus talked about the kingdom. He said the kingdom is likened to a woman searching for a lost coin. The kingdom of God is like a prodigal son. The kingdom of God is like a wheat field. The kingdom of God, he's over and over again. He was on like the same message over and over again. So what do we know about the kingdom of God? It's important. Well, I could preach for weeks about this, but let's just give you a short overview. Luke 17, 20, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, so he's saying it's an invisible kingdom for right now. And then he says later in that same passage, he said, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's something you don't see, but it's here amongst you. Okay? So what Jesus is saying, especially when he ascended, is, is I'm going to be the king of the world of, of a certain kingdom of people. Now, we, the, we don't have to make kingdoms today. With the, we have the United Kingdom with a fake queen and a bunch of royals who can't get their heads on straight. But... You don't, very, very few parts of the world have a real king, but we do call that the United Kingdom. And they don't rule the whole world, but they do rule parts of the world. Well, Jesus also rules parts of the world, everywhere of the world, through his believers. So there's a sense in which the kingdom is here and now, and we are to try to be a part of that. So we have a remote king, his throne is in heaven, and he's operating through us on this world. But also there's another sense that the kingdom of God is to come. And that's talking about the physical kingdom that I talked about earlier. The millennial reign is what it's commonly called. The thousand year physical reign here on this planet. Okay, not the new heaven and new earth, but this planet. The new heaven and earth will come later. Luke eleven two 2 says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, how would be your name? Your kingdom come. That's something we should be praying about all the time, every day. Now think about what that will do to you. If you know that someone special is coming to see you next week. You know, someone who you really love you haven't seen in forever, and they're coming next week. Man, you're getting the house cleaned up. You're thinking about what are you going to serve them when they come and stay with you, how much fun you're going to have, where you're going to go, what you're going to see. You're thinking about those things, okay? It changes your behavior when you anticipate something special coming. When we lose sight of that, we don't do those things. We start living for the here and now. You know what the word secular means? A lot of people say, well, it means not religious or against God or without God. No, it means nowism. It means to be focused on the here and now. The secular world we live in, the secular education that our kids are taught, it's all the focus on right now. What feels good now? 
What can I do to have fun right now? What's the most important time in history? Right now. Everything is about now, now, now. But Christians are supposed to have a future focus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And when we focus on the kingdom, so there's a sense that the kingdom of God is here. When we, what we're doing right now is part of advancing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that's worldwide. And the way that he spreads his kingdom is through little bodies called churches all over the planet. And God, Jesus Christ is the head of every Bible-believing church. And he is advancing his kingdom throughout all these little outposts all over the planet. So we're supposed to be focused on that in that sense. Um, So let, let me just talk to you about what happened during these 40 days. We see that there was 13 appearances, and I'm not going to read all these to you. You can kind of just skim them on the screen, and if you're at home and you want to save this, on the U version, just put save, and this will stay on your phone. But all these slides right here. And so you see from Sunday morning, and again, this is so, I can't even go over this without pointing this out. Who did Jesus first appear to? Women. Okay? Every other religion in the world at that time, and even most religions today, Men are up here, women are down here. Jesus fixed it and said, no, no, I created men and women equal. They're different, they're very different, but they're equal. And so he exalts women. In fact, back then, you've heard me say this before, but in a courtroom, women couldn't even testify because they weren't believable to most men. And yet Jesus says, hey, the women testifying of the, for the evidence that I did rise from the dead, I'm using women. And by the way, at my birth, I chose shepherds who also couldn't testify in court. So you see this, these appearances all throughout the day on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And then here throughout the 40 days, he's scattered here a few days later, a week later, all these different times. And then there's, so you see 12 appearances. And then after the 40 days, he does a 13th appearance to who? The Apostle Paul. Okay. So, and one of, and I don't really know, but one question I ask when I'm studying this is, why 12 plus 1? Well, how many tribes were in Israel? 12. How many apostles were there? 12. And then Paul made, the, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, so he made the 13th. Of course, Judas kind of hung out somewhere else, so he wasn't in the picture. But Matthias replaced him, so they restored the 12. Some people think that the, that, that the uh, church was hasty in picking Matthias because they should have waited longer and Paul would have been the 12th. I used to think that now I've changed my mind because Paul says, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. So the, Matthias was legit because these were the apostles to the 12 tribes. So it makes sense. Here's 12 to 12 tribes. Here's one to the rest of the world. Not exactly fair, but that's the way it worked out. And Paul did a pretty phenomenal job. Now there's another place where you can read about the ascension. And that's in Luke 24. So we got the same guy but in a different book, at the end of his previous book. Verse 50, it says, And he, Jesus, led them as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried. And I don't know how much to read into that carried, but except that we do read in Acts that two men in white robes were there with him. And a lot of the pictures you'll see is the angels taking Jesus up. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure Jesus could have done it on his own if he wanted to. Maybe it's a picture of, like, you know, a lot of times royalty, like in kings, they'll put them up on their shoulders, and they'll, the throne will be on, the, on the, and they'll have the pipes and like that, and they'll carry them. So maybe the, that's the picture of the angels lifting up as if here's the king, and we worship him. I'm not really sure, but they carried him up into the heavens. And so this means, the heavens just doesn't mean, just doesn't mean the clouds, or just outer space. It means where the throne of God is. That he was exalted and carried up and put 
upon the throne. And then it goes on to say in verse 52, and they worshiped him. So as Jesus is going up, after he blesses them, they're worshiping him, which is the, the perfect response, right? And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, continually in the temple, in the temple blessing God. This is the, he's saying these details for a reason. That when you get a hold of who Jesus is and that he is your ascended king, and he didn't just die for you and was buried and rose again, okay, great, I'm going to heaven, but that he's up there to rule and reign your life, this church, this state, this country, he's, he's there to run, then what happens is we should worship him. It should create great joy, not like, oh, man, I can't do what I want to do. I have to do what Jesus wants to do. No, it should create great joy, and we should continually be in the temple worshiping God and blessing God. Do you see the flow there? Jesus is king. You worship him. It brings joy. You want to be with the people of God. I, I, I often kind of shudder <laughs> on the inside when people say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian or whatever. I just, I just really don't need church. What? Well, first of all, I need church, okay? Say amen if you need church. Yeah, I need church. I, I need, I, when I miss, which doesn't happen too often, but if I have to miss, like if we're traveling or whatever, I, it just doesn't feel the same. I want to be with my church family. But not only do I need the body of Christ, I want the body of Christ. I, like, I can't wait for Sundays sometimes. I'm just like so excited. just can't wait to get here to you know, have the hugs, the kisses, the fist bumps, whatever it may be. But to be amongst the body of Christ, to sing together, to worship Jesus Christ together, that, that's what it's all about. And this, this is the flow. And so if you don't really want to be in the temple blessing God continually, it's because you probably don't realize where Jesus is, that he's ascended to the throne, not just the throne of the universe, but the throne of your heart and your life. So here's, here's what the ascension accomplished, okay? I'm going to just rattle these off. These are seven theological things, actually eight uh, theological things. We're just going to go through quickly here. But uh, first of all, the ascension marked the end of Christ's earthly ministry, okay? Jesus came to earth to teach, to preach, to heal, but most importantly, to die and to raise again, okay? So don't put, a lot, of, a lot of liberal denominations will put so much emphasis on Jesus was a great example and his teaching, that's important, but his most important was his whole purpose. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his number one thing. So this marked an end to his earthly ministry and also marked the beginning of his heavenly ministry. That's why the book of Acts says all that Jesus began to do, he's doing it from heaven, from his throne. Number two, this proved the success of his earthly ministry. Jesus' ministry didn't just fizzle and stop. You know, some people have... A, uh, a business, and eventually after a few years, it dies. You know, COVID killed Bounstown, and it killed a lot of businesses. Uh, some people, they have a church, and it goes for a while. And then I had, I had uh, coffee the other morning with a pastor friend of mine who started his church about the same time we started this church, and his church died. It, it's gone. And uh, there's some things that go for a while, and then they just die. Jesus' ministry didn't just die and fizzle. He showed it. It was a success. He ascended to the platform and got the gold medal. So it wasn't like they killed him and that was the end of that. Um, number, so John 17, 4, Jesus says, I glorified you, talk about the Heavenly Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I did it. Heal the blind, check. Raise the dead, check. Walk on water, check. You know, oh, die for the sins of the world, big check. Rise from the dead three days later, big check. Prove myself for 40 days, check, 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 check for 40 times, and then ascend to the throne, check. I am done. Okay? Now, 
On the cross, don't, don't let me confuse you. On the cross, he said, it is finished. To save your soul, that was everything. But to ascend to the throne, there was more to be done. And that's what he did to prove his, re- prove his resurrection in a bodily sense. Number three, this means, the ascension means that Jesus once more enjoyed his prior heavenly glory. Now, there was an exception to that in the transfiguration. He's like, you want to get a sneak peek, guys, of what, the transfi- what my glorification is going to be like? glow <laughs> and they're like oh my gosh and okay shut it off he just said that's just a sneak peek so he restored to that to that place listen to what jesus says here in john chapter 17 verse 5 it says and now father he's praying his, his this is really the lord's prayer and you ought to read it this afternoon john 17 the whole chapter and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that i had with you before the world began so Jesus was in his glorious state, but then he became a human baby. And he basically did life with one hand tied behind his back. That's why you see Jesus saying, well, I don't know when I'm supposed to come back. Only the Father knows. Well, Jesus, I thought you were omnipotent. He put on self-imposed limitations when he became a man. And now he's saying, Lord, man, I can't wait to get back to be restored to that glory. So when Jesus ascended, he had no more limitations. There was no more playing with one hand tied behind the back. He had, he, all restraints were off. All self-imposed restrictions were off. He was restored to his original glory in every sense. So the ascension also means Jesus begins preparing a place for his followers. You often hear this passage read at funerals. In my father's house are many ma- rooms or mansions, some translations say. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. The ascension puts Jesus on the throne and as king, he builds his kingdom. His physical kingdom in, in heaven for, for when you die, then you may go there temporarily until he brings that kingdom to earth. In, in, in the fifth thing the ascension does, it indicates the beginning of his new work as high priest and mediator of the new covenant. High priest and mediator of the new covenant. Listen to Hebrews 4. It says, since then we have a great high priest okay, who has passed through the heavens. What is that talking about? The ascension. By Jesus ascending to the throne, he becomes the great high priest. In the Old Testament, you had three offices. Prophet, priest, and king. And almost always, they were one of them. Samuel was a prophet, but he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. But you did have sometimes where people were two of them. Sometimes they were a prophet and a king like David. And some people even argue that Jesus, I'm sorry, David was briefly all three. That's debatable. He, he, was, he was a prophet because he wrote the Psalms and other things. He was king. But in some function, they say he may have been priest. But again, that's debatable whether he should have been doing that or not. But nobody else did all three of three. Jesus is the fulfillment of all three of three, prophet, priest, and king. And he's passed through the heavens, which means he's ascended to the platform. He's got the gold medal. He's wearing the crown. He's in there. So what should we do? Let us then with confidence draw near to what? The throne. The, what throne? The throne that he ascended to. This is what that 40 days of the ascension is all about. He's now at a place where we can go boldly to the throne of grace. John F. Kennedy had John Jr., who just kind of roamed and played around the White House. And one time, John F. Kennedy was in an important meeting, and it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And they're just, it's really tense. You know, we're talking about on the, on the brink of nuclear war. And then all of a sudden, the doors to the Oval Office fling open, and here comes John Jr. And he just runs in, runs up to his dad, jumps in his lap. And John F. Kennedy puts everything on hold just to talk to his son, to hug his son, okay, pat him, say, okay, you go back and play. 
Did you know that you and I have the same access to the throne of God? We can just fling open the doors and say, Daddy, and just run in. And there's no disrespect in it whatsoever. Because your big brother Jesus has ascended to the throne. He's the king, and you can run straight in. And that's, that's, a, that's a glorious thing. And what do we do? We do that so that we may receive mercy and grace in a time to help. Hebrews 9 talks more about the mediator. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant. For Christ has entered into heaven itself. What's it talking about? The ascension. And let me, hopefully you're never going to read the scriptures the same. Every time you see Jesus entering the heavens or going up into heaven or doing this, you think ascension, ascension. And that's what's so important about it. He entered into the heaven. Now to appear in the presence of God. What's the presence of God? Into the throne room, the ascension. And why did he do that? He did that on our behalf. So number six, the ascension accomplished the fact that he established the pattern of Christ's return. This is super important, okay? We live in the last days. Raise your hand if you believe Jesus could come any day now. Yes, that's true. And again, we've been hearing, some people, skeptics, like, well, we've been hearing that for years and years. And that's the way Jesus wants his church to be, wants us to be ready. But we see even more things now that make us realize it's closer than ever before. But this, this is so important, especially if you're younger. And maybe if you're here today and you're not sure if you want to be a Christian or not, maybe you're still thinking about it, let me tell you, get your ears up. This is super important, the pattern for Christ's return. It says, and, and men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The angels are, it was, he just told you, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they're like, wow, what, did you see that? And he's like, what, why are you guys still standing here? Are you still here? Are you still here? <laughs> this same, this Jesus, okay? When Jesus comes again, it will be the same Jesus. A few months ago, and I, Charles and I were having discipleship time at Panera Bread, and this young lady comes up to us, and she has some things she wants to sell to support her mission work. So we start asking about her mission work, and long story short, she's part of the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, which is one of the world's largest cults. And the Reverend Sung Young Moon says that Christ has returned and he's it. Um, you're not Jewish, you're Korean. That's why the Bible says this Jesus, this Jewish Jesus with scars in his hands, a great macho beard, real buff because he was a carpenter with no power tools, okay? That same Jesus will return. There's a guy over here in Sugarland, a Hispanic guy who says he's Jesus, that he's the second coming of Christ. And he's got hundreds of followers over there. He's not Jesus. He doesn't look like Jesus. He's not the, that's why the Bible is so clear. This same Jesus. So in your lifetime, if the world falls apart and there's a one world government and we're having World War III and all this stuff and someone steps up and says, I am the second coming of Christ, if they're not the Jesus of the Bible, you know they're the Antichrist, okay? Just letting you know, be prepared. Hopefully you won't be here, but just in case you are. It says he's taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way. How did he leave? Glorified body, physical body, in the clouds. So what does the Bible say? He'll return in the clouds, physically. It won't, see the Jehovah's Witnesses, they predicted Jesus is coming this year. He didn't come. Oh, no, we're wrong. Okay, we got it right this time. He's coming this year. He didn't come. Oh, um, what? No, no, we, we misunderstood that verse, and now he's coming this year. And then he didn't come again. This, I think this is back to 1918. And then they finally said, you know what? He came. We just can't see him. And that's why you know that they're a false cult right there, because they keep prophesying prophecies that don't come true. And that goes for so-called Christian people who say, God told me, and then it doesn't come true. Oh, like last year, so many prophets said, Trump's going to win. God told me. False prophets. 
oh, COVID's over. God told me I rebuked COVID. False prophets, don't listen to them, okay? It says he, he will come in the same way. So Jesus will physically appear in the clouds just like you saw him go into heaven. That's super important. So let's look at this here. How, how did he go? It was the same Jesus. He went physically in a glorified body and he went suddenly in the clouds. So how will Jesus return? Same body, same physical body glorified and it'll be suddenly in the clouds. That's what the Bible, that's what 1 Thessalonians tells us as well as other passages. Number seven. This marks the beginning of the church carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus ascends to the throne and says, I'm going to be up here in command center. You, my church, go into all the world and share the gospel with every living creature. He says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power. Man, thank God for the power. You know, we, we couldn't spread the gospel. We have a hard time spreading the gospel like it is. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. Realize... Realize this, you don't get people saved. The Holy Spirit does. You're just the mouthpiece. You tell them how much Jesus loves them, how much your life has changed, how he died for their sins and yours. He was buried and on the third day he rose again. You share that good news. Let the Holy Spirit do its job. It's not your job to get them saved. It's your job to tell. And it says the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? To the resurrection. Witnesses to 40 days that he walked the earth. And we can be as witnesses too. We weren't physically there, but we've got historical documentation that says it happened. And that I almost want to get off on your bone question, but I'm not going to. All right. Um, anyway, it says in where? Jerusalem, right there where the center of it is. Judea, around the suburbs there. But Samaria, a different ethnic group of people. You know, it's so amazing. The Jews were all like, I don't know. I don't know if you're not really sure. They took it to the Samaritans and <laughs> the church exploded. And it was amazing. And then to the ends of the earth. That's why Revolution Church, we meet, we're trying to reach this community. We're even trying to reach the pagans in Santa Fe. We're even trying to spread the gospel everywhere else. And that's why we support mission work. We've got missionaries in Ghana and in Belgium and in uh, Scotland now and in different places in the world because our job even if we can't go physically, is to send money for those who can to spread the gospel around the world. So real quick, that's all the theological part of the ascension. But how does this change your life? How does this help you tomorrow morning? Let's talk about three ways quickly the, that the ascension benefits you. First of all, the ascension means Jesus becomes very personal. Now that's counterintuitive. You're like, wait a minute, if he goes away... How's that more personal? It seems like it'd be more personal if he stayed here. Let me show you why. In John chapter 20, verse 7, Jesus said to Mary at the tomb, after he, said, he said, do not cling to me. You know, some tra old translations say, do not touch me. It's not touch. Mary wasn't going, ooh, are you real? She was like, Jesus, Jesus, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're back. And she was like, he's like, Mary, you're squeezing my ribs here. You know, she, he's like, don't cling to me, can't they, don't hold on to me. In other words, he's basically saying, Mary, right now you can hug me for a short while, but if I go to my throne, I can live in your heart forever. See, when, if Jesus was here on earth, he could, just, he could just be with people here and there from time to time. But now being on the ascended to the throne, he can be in every one of your hearts everywhere, whether you live in Taiwan or Iceland or South Africa or Belize. Wherever you are, Jesus is right there with you because he's in your heart because he's ascended to the throne. He says, for I have not yet ascended. You see that there? To the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father 
and to my God and your God. You see what's happening? He says, if I ascend, guess what? I'm not the only one that calls him Heavenly Father now. You get to call him. I'm not the only one that says, we're, I'm part of the, of the Trinity. You are now connected. You're not part of the Trinity, okay? You, but you're now connected to God in a more distinct and deeper way than ever before because I'm ascending to the throne. He, in John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This word helper, it's, it's so hard to translate because whenever you read a word that is so, many di so different, so many different translations, it's because in Greek it just means all of this. In English, we're just trying to find one word that means. And it could say lawyer. It could say advocate. It could say comforter. It could say helper. It's like all that wrapped in one. Imagine if you have a lawyer who's like the best lawyer, like he's the Johnny Cochran of law, but he's also your best friend and he's the best therapist and the best Bible teacher all rolled into one. That's the Holy Spirit of God, okay? So he says he will be with you how long? Forever. You see, in the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God came upon Samson and he killed the Philistines and then the Holy Spirit left him. Then you see the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and he did something. But then Saul had a wicked spirit and the Holy Spirit left him. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was like here and there, like this, on you, off you, on you, off you. But in the New Testament, because Jesus has ascended to the throne, the Holy Spirit is not just on you, he's in you. He's not just something that anoints you on the outside, it's something that fills you on the inside. It's amazing. And he says that he will be, he, the, even the Spirit, just in case you didn't know who the helper was, of the Spirit of truth, you know him. Now think about that. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses say that the Holy Spirit is not a person. It's a force. And it's all like the force be with you. Why does the Jesus over and over again refer to the Holy Spirit as a person? He, him. Why does it say he can be grieved? Why does it say the Holy Spirit can be lied to? If it's a force, it's truly a person. And people will say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. No, no, it's not, okay? The word ascension is not in the Bible either, but we clearly believe it. He says ascend. The word Bible is not in the Bible. I still believe the Bible, okay? So just because we label something with a biblical word, just because it's not in there doesn't mean the proof of it's not in there. So if you ever get a discussion with a loving, friendly discussion, don't get as animated as I am, okay? But uh, you need to remember that, those terms. So the second thing, Jesus is not only more personal, he becomes very powerful. And again, he was on limitations before, but now no limitations. And again, don't think that Jesus became less God the illustration I gave last week is if I get on my knees and play basketball with my grandsons left-handed, I could still totally dunk on them whatever I wanted, but I'm choosing to limit myself, okay? Hebrews 1.3 says, And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And why? Because he's at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. That, that's where he ascended to. So he's the one holding the universe together. Number three, last point here, Jesus becomes our position. Jesus becomes very personal, very powerful, and Jesus becomes our position. In other words, he trades places with us when we stand before God. 1 John 2 says, if anyone does sin, and raise your hand if you sin, okay? <laughs> Even though you're saved, you still sin. And, and John's saying, well, since you're going to sin, you have an advocate. Again, the word could be translated lawyer, someone who goes between you and the judge with the Father, and that, that person between you and the, and the Father is Jesus Christ. He's your advocate. You know, when you go to court, you might be scared to death, guilty as can be, nervous, can't speak very well. 
But if your lawyer's awesome, you're awesome. <laughs> if your lawyer's confident, you're confident. If the lawyer has a great case, you have a great case. You are in your lawyer. You could go into court just like, I'm wonderful, I'm not nervous, this is going to be great, and your lawyer stinks. Guess what? You stink. Okay? But you could be, feel like nothing and undeserving and unworthy, but if your lawyer's awesome, you're in a great position. And guess who our lawyer is that stands before, between us and God the Father? Jesus Christ, the advocate. So what does the ascension mean to us? It means Jesus is more personal than ever before because he lives in your heart. It means Jesus is more powerful than ever before, that he is fully capable of running your life. Guess what? You don't need to stress this week about the bills or about your job or anything else. Jesus is king. He's ascended to his throne. And Jesus stands be between you and the heavenly Father, ever making intercession. Every time you mess up, Jesus says, yes, they messed up, but remember, I paid for it already on the cross. And the Father's like, amen. We don't believe in any double jeopardy here. It's already paid for. Do you know this, Jesus? Hebrews 7.25 says, he is able to save to the uttermost. You may think, I I'm just too bad to be saved. I if you knew all the things that I've done, I Jesus would never love me. Yeah, he does. He, he is able to save to whatever... Um, how far you can think, Jesus exceeds it to the uttermost. And who does he save? Not everybody. Only those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus bridged the gap between heaven and hell with his cross, so that you could cross through him and live forever with the heavenly Father. Let me ask you a question. Do you know him? I would like for everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to pray that God lifts the blindness from someone this morning. Maybe someone who's watching online. Maybe someone who's here in, in God's house. But if you don't know for sure that you're saved, that you're, all your sins have been forgiven, that Jesus Christ is the king of your life, I want you to trust him right here, right now. You could pray a prayer something like this, and there's no magic words that are going to save you. It's the faith in your heart. But maybe something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying from all my horrible sins. I thank you that you took all that guilt away and you buried it in a tomb. And I thank you that you rose from the dead so that not only will you live forever, but I can live forever with you. I trust you to forgive, away all, forgive all my sins. I make you the Lord, the king of my life on your ascended throne. I give everything to you because you gave everything for me. Become the Lord and Savior of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you've been born again. And I would love to talk to you further about your next steps as a new believer. And uh, we would love to help you as a church to make those steps. All right. God good? Amen. So last week I misspoke and said Chauncey would be here. This week I meant this. I, I'm thinking a week ahead. It'll be next Sunday that Chauncey Doles will be here. We are interviewing him to be our summer intern. And if that goes well, then possibly our full-time worship leader. So he's arriving this Wednesday. I'm going to pick him up at the airport. Here's where I need your help. If you'd be willing to take him to dinner or lunch, one meal, let me know. Please text me. You can do it right now and say, we'll, we'll do, just tell me a day and a time. The Avalos have graciously opened their home for him to stay with them. Give them a hand. We appreciate them. But we need housing. And you say, Gary, man, I'd love to take him out to dinner, but we, don't, we can't. But hey, here's a Chick-fil-A gift card. I'll make sure I pass 
half of it on him. Okay, and then, uh, so if you can help with transportation, I'll be his transportation most of the time, but there might be a time that I can't, and if you say, hey, if Chauncey ever needs a ride somewhere, let me know, because he's not running, bringing his own car, and he's not renting a car, so we're gonna, just going to be his Ubers, okay? All right, here, in just a moment, we're going to have question and answer sessions, so if you have any questions about this message, or about the Bible in general, or anything about life, just text it right now, and we'll, I'll be glad to read it. And if you want it to be anonymous, we can. Um, if this is your first time, we want to give you a t-shirt. Melinda's back there at the guest table, and she's got lots of t-shirts. So just fill out one of those Connect cards. They have those at the table as well. And if you'd like to have one of these awesome t-shirts, you can buy one for a donation of $10. I um, also want to do something new. And my goal in the next two to three weeks is to have a phone conversation with every single one of you, okay? And so if just text me a couple of times that are good, like, you know, maybe here my lunch break is on, or my, you know, at noon, I, let's talk then, or I could talk after 7 p.m. in the evening. Just text me some times at work, and I'll try to make that work. So I sent this out the other day, and I got one reply. It was Tammy. <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> so that night, I prayed with Tammy. We had a good 10-minute conversation, and I hung up on her. All right, so... Uh, Schedule that time, text me right there, because I want, because COVID, I feel like it, it's kind of, some of you I see all the time, some of you I see like too much, but some of you I don't get to see, I'm kidding, some of you I don't see often enough, and it's just like I see on Sunday morning, or I don't get to see you all because of COVID. I mean, there's people who have not been at church in like 13 months now, and it's like, gosh, this is too long. So please, I'd love to have a phone conversation with you. Again, I want to remind you of our missionaries uh, that are part of our association in Chile, they're trying to raise $22,000 so they can buy a building. The owners discounted it greatly if they can raise the money by the, by the end of the month. So if you're willing to chip in on that, uh, let us know. Just see Bob or you can give. Um, we're working on actually a text-to-give app, um, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, we also, as we're trying to expand and, and get our children and preschool ministry back to pre-COVID time. We're going to need more volunteers. We're thankful for the new people who've been helping out with that, but we need more volunteers. If you can help once a month or even once every eight weeks, that would be just awesome. Um, this week, we, the last two weeks, we've had a, approximately 60 teens and adults participate in life groups. That's awesome. That's a big chunk of our church. So we want to get that number up to 80%. So if you, if you haven't joined a life group yet, um, there's several that are meeting. The Wednesday night one, there's two on Thursday nights, and they're in all different areas. And also, we'd love to start a new life group. Um, just about every day, four or five times a week, I send out text updates, just reminders about life group, prayer requests, and different things like that. If you want to receive those, there's the information right there. Or again, you could text it to my cell phone number here and just say, add me to the list. All right, let's do question and answer time. And then uh, at the end, Nathan, we're going to sing a song, right? Where's Nathan? Okay, good, good, good. All right. Here's one. Uh, Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Why is the word unawares used? Seems like poor English. Um, I'm trying to think of a better word. It just means they are not aware. So they could have said not aware, but to be true... And this is, this is not like King James, but it's also ESV. To be true to the Greek, they didn't want to put two words if they can make it one. So that's what, instead of saying not aware, they said unaware. That's my best understanding of it. But that's a, that's a cool thing to think that you may pull over and help someone with a flat tire and then go on down the road, and you may have just helped an angel. I believe that really does happen. 
Um, my best friend uh, uh, growing up, Lacey Estel Holly III, it was a guy, great family name there. He was in a, a car with a friend, and they were going over the George Washington Memorial Bridge from Delaware to New Jersey. It's a bridge, okay? On the bridge, it's a long, long bridge, on the bridge, this guy was hitchhiking, and they thought, that's not real safe. So they pulled over, and they, he hopped in the car, and they were going to give him a ride. And the guy is talking to him, and the guy says to him, you guys know that Jesus is coming again. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're believers. He said, are you ready? And they're like, yeah, we're ready. And when they got to the end of the bridge, they said, well, hey, well, he's not in the car. True story, take it or believe it, okay? I don't know. I, said, I, uh, I don't, I, I'm not even going to try to comment anymore. So the Bible says, says sometimes when you do something nice for somebody, it's God sending an angel in your path. And I don't like to get off on angels too much because some people get off. On it. Anyway, um, wouldn't the name Theophilus mean God's brother or brother God? I don't know. Did you look that up, Patrick? No, I just looked at the people. Oh, okay, yeah. Theo, Theos is God. Philos, it means God lover. Phileo is Philadelphia is brother. Delphi would be the brother. Phileo is a type of love. So his name literally means lover of God. So Philadelphia, Phileo is the love. Delphi is the brotherhood part. Um, Jimmy Moya sent this to me. This is great. It shows a guy behind bars. It says, people are prisoners of their phones. That's why they are called cell phones. Amen. Some of us need to get off our phones. Okay. And that, yeah, that's why you're always looking for some bars at the top, right? Um, <laughs> speaking of that, for Father's Day, we've got a whole list of dad jokes for you, just the same. Okay, um, someone wrote here, I started listening to uh, the, the God Wrote a Book podcast you recommended a while back, and so far it's excellent. So yeah, if you're interested in that same thing, there's a book called God Wrote a Book, and it explains why we got... 66 and not all this other stuff that people claim should be in the Bible. Let me just give you something I learned this past week. This is amazing. And we're great on time, so be patient here. Lubies can wait. Lubies, that's old. <laughs> all you senior citizens. <laughs> all right, now, um, so what's the biggest book in the Bible? Okay, thank you. Uh, in chapters, yes, but in total content, Isaiah. How many chapters? 66. How many books are in the Bible? 66. Watch this. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about you have not obeyed God's law, so judgment is coming, just like the Old Testament. The last 27 books of Isaiah are all about, but I'm going to show grace to you through the Messiah. What's the New Testament of 27 books? The book of Isaiah is a, is a a macro version of the whole Bible. So let me tell you, the 66 we have, God does, a, and that's just one of like hundreds of amazing things that show that the Bible is the word of God. Is this your nice way of telling me to get off the stage? Okay. I got 14 more questions here. No, no, you got time, you got time. I'm not, I'm not through until the Holy Spirit tells me to. No. Um, Here's a question. How is Jesus' position as advocate lawyer on our behalf reconciled with the Father giving all judgment to the Son? That's great. So think about this. Jesus is the judge. Okay. Now, he's advocate before the Father, but they share in the judgment because the Old Testament says Jehovah's judge. But also, so Jesus is playing all three roles. He's like, 
I'm the judge. You're guilty. I'm the lawyer. I'll defend you. I'm your savior. I'll die for you. Jesus is like all over the map doing all three. So there's no, there, there's an overlap there. And you see that through all kinds of things. Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter. So Jesus is like an advocate and Holy Spirit will be, I am too. Jesus is saying, Jesus says, I died for you. Here's the evidence. The Holy Spirit says, hey, remember Jesus died for you? So it's like you got two lawyers on either side telling you, you're not guilty. There is therefore no, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8, right? No, no, that's 5.8, God command. 8.1, there we go. All right, Seth Ward has a question. Oh, it's, and this is sent from Cherie. Was Noah and his entire family immoral or were they just, cho- just the chosen? If so, then they were perfect just like Jesus. Okay, so several things there. They were not immoral relative speaking to the world. It says Noah was a just man. Okay, so he, the question is, was he just because he was chosen or was he chosen because he was just? It really was both. But Noah was living right until after the flood he failed, okay? And they failed in the vineyard. The Bible makes no comment about his sons, but they did help in the building of the ark, so we assume that they were probably obedient as well. Um, so they weren't perfect just like Jesus, other than that they were in Christ. And that's the amazing thing. They were, you're either in the ark or you're not, right? And if you're in the ark, you can be acting in a fool, but you're still saved. So great picture of eternal security there in the ark. Um, do you think that Jesus appeared to women first because he knows how we are made and talk way more than men? Yeah, maybe so. Um, yeah, it, that's true because they say women's forever, men speak approximately 9,000 words a day and women speak 24,000 words a day. All right. Um, last question here. Um, so you will see atheists often post that how is it that God sacrificing his son and then in the coming path to life, any real sacrifice at all. If I give you $3 million and $3, million, three days later you give me $3 million, how is that a sacrifice? I've seen that same quote on the internet by atheists. And there, it's a deceptive little trick there. They just changed suffering and dying to money. Did you see that right there? No, let's stay with suffering and dying. So let's just say someone kidnaps you and does every imaginable horrible thing to you, okay? And if you've been through that, some ladies have been through that. And that nightmare, it lasts for six hours long and they beat you near, near death. But then three days later, you feel fine. Is that like it never happened? No. Don't give me this $3 million in my bank account, $3 million taken back out. That, that's not even, not even a safe analogy. And that's what the atheists will do. They, they, it's a shell game. They'll change the question on you and they'll move around. Jesus, think about this. If you walk, Tim Keller puts it this way. If you walk down the street and say hi to a stranger and they look at you like, and walk on by, that might be like, ouch, that was weird. A little bit of rejection, but it's not going to bother you, okay? Unless you're just super insecure. It's not going to bother you, stranger. Now, one of your good friends blows you off. Oh, that's going to bother you. Your spouse rejects you or leaves you. Man, that hurts immensely. The more intimate relationship, the more it hurts. Jesus' intimacy with God the Father was infinite. So his pain on the cross was infinite. He was agonizing in the garden, sweating great drops of blood, not because he was thinking about nails, because he was thinking about the Father turning his back on him.
So what Jesus went through on the cross was no easy deal. Okay, no big deal. We'll be back in three days. He suffered intimately on the cross. So we should be thankful. Let's stand and sing to the Lord.